0: And welcome to the AB Forums podcast Sore Feet, Sore Heads, Aching Joints, and Back to Grace, guys. Uh, it has to be the CES podcast special, uh, recorded the day after uh, we've just landed. So, jet lag to hell, myself and uh, joining me is Assistant Editor Steve Withers. Hi, everybody. And News Editor Mark Hutchinson. Hello. Uh, Poor old Mark, uh, stuck in the UK, but still probably saw more of CES than we did uh, being on the show floor. Certainly the uh, press conferences, Mark. You covered them. Again, it's one of these things that seems to be really old-fashioned and dated uh, when you can get live streams to the UK uh, in real time and uh, you can put your news up probably quicker than if myself and Steve had been sitting in the press conference
1: yeah moreover if you if you can you can get the press kits a bit early so you can have the, all the news before they've delivered it so yeah it's much easier it's, it, it's streaming in hd sat in the comfort of my own living room um you could pause rewind you could go back and, and look at things so yeah it was, a, it was a much better way than actually going there i'm sure certainly for the initial day um but it was the usual the usual set of um conferences it, it just seems uh, i don't know it, it seems to be the, the same thing that starts off every one every year and it's a, this smart home idea which is fine because it's coming but you know it's not really target for for our uh audience so much um but yeah it was it was it was quite a, it was quite a decent a decent set of conferences i thought samsung was a bit strange but all in all it was uh quite entertaining did they wheel out any celebs for them
2: no no so celebs. after last year's meltdown, by yeah, I think players, I think that's like, really put them
1: uh, off. Yeah, no, no, no celebs <laughs> that I remember, but I was suffering with the flu at the time, so my enthusiasm levels weren't as high as they uh, <laughs> as they might have been. But yeah, yeah, I sat through to the bitter end, right till right till the Sony conference. We, uh, we C- haven't been to a press conference for the last couple of years, have we? Too?
0: No, and like I say, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a waste of time. You don't get hands-on with the product for a start. So, um,
2: well, First of all, you've got to queue for ages yeah. to get in, if it, you get in at if all. If you get in, because there's been and some Samsung ones in, where we didn't get in. Yeah. There. If you're not it's just sat right at the very front, you're looking at a screen anyway, yep. so you might as well just be watching the live feed. It's an absolute waste of time.
0: Yeah, it, it's a throwback to the old days, and uh, I'm sure you know it, it, it will become an internet feed-only thing. Probably in the future. I mean, if if people have sense, any uh, press organisations have sense, they'll sit and watch the stream. I think they like
1: the the applause, though, don't they? And the crowd. Yeah, you want
2: some kind of interaction from the crowd, I suppose, but it's it's all kind of fake anyway. worse still,
1: what if nobody applauds?
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> just, just, get, just get a whole load of employees to sit in, you know. What oh, I mean? yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, that's
0: what you should do. Yeah. Uh, so, th- the way that we do our uh, coverage, and you've probably just witnessed it on AV Forums, is that, like I say, Mark covers the press conferences, and then myself, Steve, and uh, this year, Stuart uh, are out there at the show, and we go and then get hands on with the product and speak to the UK reps and get the UK side of the story because it is a US show. And it has been a very US centric show until a few years ago, but. I'm getting a feeling, Steve, it's starting to go a bit US-centric again, especially with the likes of uh, companies like Sharp and Toshiba.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, in the case of Sharp and Toshiba, the stuff on show won't be available in the UK. Well, actually, Toshiba didn't even have any TVs on,
0: on display. No, they, so they've, they've, they've even pulled out the US market now. So, yeah, very strange uh, and, to see.
2: And Sharp are um, uh, well, their European business has been sold to a third party. So, um, as far as Sharp TVs, real Sharp TVs are concerned, that's only Japan and the US now. Which is a real shame because they had some really interesting stuff on display. And they always do. Every year we go to the Sharp Stand. There's some really cool looking stuff. They've been doing a lot of big screens. Um, they've been concentrating really on big screens the last few years. You know, they've got their 8K, 8K um, prototype on display. <laughs> they have 4K. <laughs> Sorry? 8K is that
0: like 8 gangsters, is it?
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> 8K again. Um, but they also had their Beyond 4K, which is basically an 8K... Well, kind of a uh, sort of halfway house between 4K and 8K by yeah. doing essentially the same thing that JVC are doing with uh, some of their projectors and also Epson recently, which is a kind of, you know, diagonally shifting the image across to create a sort of pseudo, in the case of JVC and Epson, a pseudo 4K image. And this yeah. is a pseudo 8K image. But what they were doing was they were showing. Um, some text, some very, very fine text, and you could see it on a 4K panel, a beyond 4K panel, and an actual 8K panel, and it was 8K text, effectively. And um, whilst on the 4K panel, you couldn't really read the very finest text, you could read it quite clearly on the, on the beyond 4K, and obviously it was a little bit sharper on the 8K, but I've got to say, the technology looked really impressive in terms of the way it worked. Um, but we won't see it, so, you know, <laughs> never
0: mind. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're going to get content as well. I mean, you're struggling to get content for 4K I mind. Mean, well, I mean, no, I'm oh, saying beyond 8K, the, the beyond so...
2: 4K taking 4k and making it look like 8k actually worked quite well so so yes it was 4k content that um that, that it, it worked it, it definitely was quite impressive technology but as i say we we won't see it in this country so never mind yeah well i think phil's got a point let's, let's just concentrate on getting 4k deliver shall we
0: yeah exactly <laughs> But, yeah, it's it's a shame because the Sharp stand. um, I think I was telling Stuart this when we were there. You know, it's always a stand that we enjoy going to in the US. Um, It's always got good technology. The TVs usually look very good. They've usually got some really nice stuff, but we never get to see it in the UK. And we definitely won't get to see it now. So, it really is a shame that Sharp have have gone that way. But I I think, in terms of certainly uh, Japanese manufacturers, Steve, you know, they, they really have. Uh, a tough battlehead um, well just yeah, to, just I mean, to remain competitive and and to stay in the market and uh, although saying that uh, usually I, I've just been looking at the numbers this morning for our coverage and uh, and I can only take in what what our um, members and and readers uh, are looking at but surprisingly Panasonic have done really well this year in terms of numbers in terms of people uh, showing an interest in that It's usually Samsung and LG who are way out in front so I'll, uh, I'll
2: give you one one reason for that Phil two words panasonic oled that's why everyone read that article yes, <laughs> yes. The, the, not a 4k blu-ray <laughs> oh and 4k blu-ray which again i mean you forgot about that steve no no i haven't forgotten about <laughs> it but an empty box is neither here nor there is it It's <laughs> not like they were showing an actual player yeah, yeah, that worked yeah. with a real disc
0: yeah but that was surprising so it still shows that there is an interest in in the japanese manufacturers it's just that they really have a battle on hand in it and i think a perfect example of that was um just how few new tvs that sony announced
2: yeah, I mean, again, as you said uh, earlier, Phil, what TVs are on display are obviously the US models, so there's no guarantee that what we're seeing is going to be released in the UK. And for example, on the Sony stand, there was no curved display there, but there was going to be a curved display released in Europe. But you're right, I mean, I think some, you can either go two ways, you can either have a lot of models, and this is what they used to be like, right? there used to be hundreds and hundreds of all the, all the models coming out, like rows and rows of TVs. Or you can concentrate on showing off the technology in the televisions, and I think... There's been a move towards that more recently because it has become a more international show. And therefore, what you really want to get across is this is our technology, this is how good our TV is gonna look, and not the specific models, because that's not that interesting, frankly. Um and and so Sony's stand was very much about the tech and less about individual models. Um there were a few models on display and they had some, I mean, they had their um 93C, the X93C. No, X900C. And then, by the way, Sony, please come up with some new numbers for your TVs. Uh, It's it's so confusing when it's the same model number every year with just a a different suffix. Anyway, the X900C, which was a a 4.5 millimeters thick LED LCD panel, really looked nice. I mean, Sony are very good when it comes to design and and the look of their TVs. And this was another stunner from them. Um, They also had... um, the 93 and 90, X93 and X94, which have high-res audio on them, and then the kind of wedge-shaped ones, although they've made the wedge slightly less thick and more tapered than it was last year. Um, again, very attractive TVs. Um, you know, It's good to see a t- manufacturer kind of really trying to work on the sound quality of the televisions, which is nice. They've been, sony been pushing higher contrast ratio, you know, higher dynamic range and um, wider colour gamuts for a couple of years now. So I think they were ahead of the game there. They were using Quantum Dot, although they're not using it anymore, but they were using it two or three years ago.
1: So what are they? Do you think that they wouldn't tell C- me? They wouldn't think tell it me. might be CLED. You know, they showed that a couple of years ago, didn't they? Or three years yeah, it's ago? Not, it's no, no, that's uh, no not CLED. I, I asked no, them.
2: I asked them what they were using, and they said it's a secret.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: Samsung don't come out. didn't come out and say they were using quantum dot initially, did they? But they are. Everyone
2: else appears to be. As far yeah. as well. yeah, anyone who's talking about higher, wider dynamic, wider, wider, color gamuts, um, is using quantum dot. Sony, who've ditched it for something else, but they wouldn't say what, so
0: there you go. Yeah, well, it, it probably just is that, and I just don't want to say
2: it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, no, because they were the ones that pioneered it, so if it was, you'd think they'd be going like, oh, we were there first. So yeah. it's kind of slightly um, strange that they should ditch something that everyone else is now using, and then not talk about what they are using anyway. Yeah. Okay. They also wouldn't tell me, they didn't know, in fact, the guy didn't know, but I said, how, how why can the colour gamut go? You know, Can it hit DCI, which is clearly important going forward, because... As we'll talk about later at length, I'm sure, that's the spec.
0: Well, well I think everybody just needs to forget about um, 2020. Um, it, well, it, yeah, I mean, it, what, what, it was, gonna what they're going to say is it'll gonna... be in
2: the spec, won't it, Phil, as a sort of a broad canvas. No way in hell they're going to actually de- release stuff in 2020, because they don't need to. they just use the Cinema Masters.
0: Uh, well, another manufacturer who didn't release any model numbers, but we're showing off the technology, was Samsung as well. So some interesting tech on their site, Steve, uh, regarding SUHD. Now, they said... It's up to you to define what the S means. Kind of dangerous. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> really asking for trouble, isn't it? <laughs> um, but again, you know, higher dynamic range, uh, wider color gamuts. Uh, this was this began to be the, the the buzzword for for this year's CES, and I'm sure it, uh, you cottoned on pretty quickly, Mark, as well. With the press conferences that that this was it, this is going to be the year of either Dolby Vision or. HDR um that seemed yeah, to be the they're kind watch. of interrelated
1: aren't they judging by the, your the interview with the guy from Dolby sorry i forgotten his name it? yeah it, it seems that they've been working with all the manufacturers so i think they've whether they'll all carry the Dolby uh HDR the Dolby vision branding rather um they have definitely taken some of the technology from from uh Dolby um so whether you know i think the Philips it Philips definitely will be Dolby vision no, no and, not not
2: definitely they again uh, they they've been working with Dolby for some teach time
1: TCL would definitely Dolby.
2: Yeah, I, what, what we'll see is some of the uh, smaller so TCL or Hisense, people like that will, I think, go with Dolby because that's what they tend to do. If you look at their stands, what they're doing is they're cherry-picking technology. They're not developing anything themselves. They're not pumping billions into development. Yet. They're just and, cherry-picking and, the best stuff.
0: And it was funny that um, neither had OLEDs.
2: No, which was a bit, a bit of a concern, because <laughs> uh, they had plenty of them last year. So a bit of a worry. But they've got things like Rocky TV, uh, Dolby Vision. So they're bringing in tech from other people. They're using quantum dots. So sensibly, I think that's a sensible approach, unless you want to invest a lot of money in something. But they're gearing up, basically, to deliver that. And Dolby Vision, talking to the guy, um, as he explained how it works, you think, well, that's that's very sensible, the idea of having a, a set standard. And also, the fact that you, you, you have the set standard, then the TV will tell you know, if it's a Dolby Vision TV, it will know what the TV is yeah. capable of and map the color and, and dynamic range performance to that specific television. That's great. I, what I can see are some manufacturers maybe don't want to necessarily get in there just with Dolby. And that's the problem because even Philips was saying, yes, we're working with Dolby, but we're also developing our own version. Yeah. And yeah. they might I go think, the other way. I well, I I think I'd rather have it one standard. Bit, Rather than have one standard, rather than mess around with different standards. Because then everything gets confusing and and you don't know what your TV is going to do. Yeah, I, think,
0: I think the main thing is licensing. <laughs> well, that's the thing, know, they, yeah. They've they got to pay license pay. fees and so on to Dolby, uh, to have Dolby Vision. And it may be that they're going to develop their own thing. I mean, I'm not sure where it stands patent-wise and that kind of thing, but you know if they're developing their own things alongside a dolby vision then you know they're going to go for their own thing rather than pay for a license fee um but i think the the buzzword is hdr and certainly speaking to the likes of danny tack um from tp vision who obviously that's the the background name for Philips, and um a couple of others like uh, like the guy from from dolby it's i've got to say this is my opinion but it looks like they're trying to get at least another two or three years out of led lcd technology
1: well it seems to be plan b for OLED is something I commented on it's it was um, I think a lot of them went out well a few were certainly investigating OLED a few years ago and they 've not cracked the manufacturing at least outside of lg uh, and it 's kind of plan b to, to you know quantum dot and hdr is is a new thing that uh, the uhd alliance will be using to their advantage so um yeah I, I think it's kind of plan b while yeah, while the, like o- OLED.
0: the only caveat to that is and and rightly so is is that OLED can 't quite reach the brightness levels that HDR will. Not
2: yet. Not I'm yet. Sure, I'm sure they'll be able to get it up to a thousand. I think they'll be able to crack it. At some point. Yeah. I think I don't think it's a conspiracy to extend the life of LED necessarily. I think that's one of the aspects. I don't think
0: anybody said it was a conspiracy. It's no, just no. It, but you know, not, not a
2: conspiracy. But there is a. There's also, and I'm glad to see this for once in in their lives. The manufacturers have seen some sense, and they're all getting together under the UHD Alliance to actually get up to create a series of specifications and standards yeah, for UHD. I, I
0: think you just have to say in in that case, you just have to say DVD, and and I think yeah, exactly. You know, everybody got together for that, and it was a big mm-hmm. success. Um, the most
2: successful launch ever of of a technology because for once in their lives they weren't all bloody arguing
0: yeah exactly and you know they tried to do they tried to go their own way with HD DVD and Blu-ray and that just ended up being a farce so you know this UHD Alliance it could be that it's going to work uh, not only in the advantage of the manufacturers and the content producers but also the general public and um, like we were discussing with uh, I think it was with Danny Tarko when we had, had our meeting with him you know all we look for in terms of uh, you know the AV forums team here is that we're seeing things as the artist intended and uh, trying to get TVs and projectors and stuff set up correctly and if HDR works and it's mapping to the content and so on then it could more or less do away with professional calibration I don't I know both of you guys <laughs> being calibrators don't really want to hear that but if you're a member of the public or even an enthusiast, you know if if the colour is going to be marked properly by a display that's HDR, then the only thing that needs to be set up is the brightness and contrast for the the room that is being used in. Yeah, but that's not and easy,
1: Phil. F- you need special equipment for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a, te- a test pattern and a pair yeah, of eyes. Um, that, that one. But but as a consumer. You know, if it goes that way, and, and the content is produced and mapped properly, and the TV maps that properly in terms of uh, color gamut uh, and contrast ratio, then the only thing you need to do is set it up for the room that it's in, and, and bingo away you go. And that's kind of the holy gale, gale? holy gale, who's holy gale? <laughs> that's kind of the holy grail that we we have been pushing for for a number of years.
1: Yeah, the HDR mapping kind of just replaces the gamma function, doesn't it? So it's, yeah. it's mastered in a, in a what was they call a PQ space, which is perceptual quantification or something like that. So it just basically it re- it replaces the, the gamma function, the HDR mapping, to, to take yeah. account of the, yeah. the panel brightness. And there'll also
2: be color mapping too, so once again, it'll, it'll, it'll map to the television. It might not do television. it perfectly, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, what well, is good though, and, then, and this is something we, we were talking about years ago, uh, is that this is an opportunity to create a new set of standards exactly. that, that yeah. reflect the capabilities yeah. of the technology we have now because what's currently being used um, is obviously, was obviously developed 20-odd years ago and things have moved on considerably in the last 20 years and now we can have a new set of standards which it looks like and obviously it hasn't been announced yet so this is pure speculation but it looks like it's going to be, the main standard will be um, higher dynamic range, DCI P3 color space um,
0: 10-bit
2: 10-bit video, yeah, 10-bit, and, yeah. and so a higher peak limit I mean, that, that that's that's good news because that that basically means that ultimately we're all going to benefit from a better picture. Yeah, and, not and, just and a uh, high resolution, but a better picture
1: all round. You uh, you I guys think- were obviously there and saw it, but the impressions I got even from the videos watching on a you know on a PC monitor that, that some of the HDR stuff looked really really good, just yeah. filmed off you know a video I, camera.
0: It. it <laughs> it did but again um some of the displays were being obviously being pushed to the max uh, yeah. you know the yeah, prototypes and and uh, you could tell that that they were trying to push every last last ounce of detail out, out of the sets and every last bit of power and and obviously that was a concern as well which i raised with danny tack you know how hot are these tvs going to get because you're generating more light you're generating more heat even even lcds
1: no hotter well, the any claim, what they were yeah, saying, Dolby
2: what yeah, Danny but, said was that the LEDs have become more efficient, um, and therefore they can get them brighter without generating more heat. So that's their claim. Uh, we'll see. But you're right, Phil. I mean, you're right. They were being pushed to their limits. But I guess they were prototypes rather than finished samples. So
0: prototypes. They were being pushed to the last uh, inch of their lives, basically. And you could tell. You could tell that some of the material, you know, there, there was one scene where uh, Tom Cruise's hair. There was no detail um in the HDR version where it's the the conventional there was loads of detail there so there was obviously clipping uh going on within that which you couldn't see on the conventional and this leads us on to um 1886 um which is is a standard for gamma which has been around for about 2 years now but a lot of uh, conventional TVs at the minute just can't do it um can't do it properly and um, i've certainly not been a huge fan of the standard having really seen the benefits of it however having now had a chance to see hdr in the flesh from a number of manufacturers steve and seen content which uh, was mastered uh, for high dynamic range and i'm thinking about that exodus uh, clip Mm. that we watched in the samsung behind the closed door demo um, that had been mastered, it was mapping properly to TV, it was using 1886, and it looked pretty phenomenal, to be honest, and had me changing my mind quite quickly in terms of... That was of, the
1: clip I was talking about, it was the Exodus movie, well, yeah, it looked fantastic, even on the, yeah, on the videos.
0: Yeah, it did, it looked absolutely astounding, and, you know, 1886 starts to make, uh, make sense, and, um, you know, there was comments made that maybe we shouldn't be referring to Gamma anymore. Like you say, Steve, you know, you know Gamma was a term but pff, probably older than 20 years. Uh, well, yeah. Back, I mean, to, I mean, I'm s- back to CRT days, you know. Um, obviously, the 20-year-ago, that was seven oh nine was invented 20 years ago. But It's easier gamma-
1: than saying electro-optical transfer function, though, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is a little bit.
0: <laughs> it is. It's a bit of a mouthful, and we need to think of something else to call it. But, but technically, it, we shouldn't be calling it gamma anymore, because, you know, if these digital sets um, using HDR can map properly, and it looks like they can... Um, i've got to say i'm for the first time in a number of years um i think this has been quite quite a, a technically driven ces mm. and one where the technology looks like it's going to be worthwhile and will come to market
1: yeah i find it all quite exciting all this stuff i mean we've we've heard about dolby vision for years haven't you but the, the technology has not been there to deliver it and now, and now it's getting there so it's uh, yeah I, I find it's a 4k was never i didn't think it was ever going to be enough just the resolution jump for most people well, on, the, on the average size display yeah. they're not going to get it but They'll see. They'll see more colours, better contrast. You know. Yeah. Well, I, we, I, I we said it. We it,
0: said right. it a number of years ago when when we first started talking about 4K. You know, let's let's get better colour spaces. Let's get, you know, use more bit bitrate. Um, and it looks like finally, after after a long time, that that seems to be where things are going. And um, it, it's interesting in that respect, Steve, uh, talking ab- about digital displays and so on. And I know uh, we shouldn't get c- too carried away with this, but Um, we could start seeing uh, basically content produced for the cinema in the home.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, it looks like last week uh, Warners announced that their first three titles that they've remastered um, in HDR, and I'm assuming that also includes a wider colour gamut, um, which was was Into the Storm and Edge of of Tomorrow and um, the Lego movie. So we're going to start seeing content. Well, I mean... Ideally, what we're, what we're saying is they'll have one master, one which they use for cinema and also used for um, home home cinema, home yeah. theater distribution. So I think or or we need to.
0: distribution. I think we need to explain that. So at the moment, um, you have DCI P three, which is used in the cinema, which basically says how strong the colours are and how, how, you know how much many degrees. I can't even say my words now. <laughs> gradations. <laughs> How many gradations uh, is possible within that? So, a higher bit rate and so on. So, th- the more bits you got, the more you can play about with things and make uh, slight hues of colour look better without getting striping and banding and all the rest of it. So, you know, it's, it's quite high spec for the cinema. At the moment, uh, Blu ray and DVD and TV uh, is all in the Rec. 709 colour space, which is f- far less. Um, than the dci spec so the dci spec is a wider color gamut and when we say wider color gamut it just means it can display more um, so rec 79 is not bad um it's eight bit and eight bit bit's been around a long time but it's not bad it looks really good and you know get a decent blu-ray and it, it, it looks really nice but it's not gonna be able to get to the levels of a cinema release steve and that's because the displays are not capable of getting that wide that's how it works at the minute but if we go hdr with a new standard with a wider color gamut whether that's using quantum dot or whatever technology is to achieve the the wider gamut um, what they create for the cinema is what we will see at home and i think that that's been the holy grail for a long time and i think anybody that's still thinking about rec 2020 forget it um i don't think we're ever going to see content produced um, certainly not in the next 10 years at that standard. It is a recommendation uh, of a standard, but the cinema, professional cinema, pre- professional capture, all the rest of it, it works at DC, DCI-P3. It's a wider colour gam- gamut than 709. That's your upgrade in colour. That's where things are going to go. It means that we don't have to invest in new cameras. We don't have to invest in you know processing films to a wider colour gamut and all the rest of it. It will follow Hollywood, and that's where Hollywood is at the minute.
2: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense from the point of view of the studios, too. It keeps the cost down. You just have the one master for the cinema, and then you take that master and you basically apply it to the domestic market. And, okay, the resolution is not exactly the same between cinema 4K and home cinema 4K, but it's close enough. You can use the same color space uh, using 10-bit video um, and D65, which is the same as the cinema, and then in HDR. And, I mean, the results for us are going to be that we're seeing at home an image that's very close to what you'd see at the cinema, which I guess for a home cinema enthusiast is the holy grail, isn't it? It is the dream. Yeah, We're top. going to you know, almost it might get be better at than home
1: the average cinema.
2: Well, yeah, of course, once you take into account other factors, you could probably be looking at an image and a sound quality that's better than anything you're going to get at the cinema, which is awesome as far as I'm concerned. And you know, and as we said earlier in this in this podcast, you know, the idea that this the manufacturers and the studios and everyone's getting together to come up with this standard. For both UHD delivered by, be it over, over, online or or via Blu-ray or whatever the delivery system is, but having a standard that delivers a performance that's, that's better than we, what we currently got and similar to what we get at the movies is fantastic, as far as I'm concerned.
0: One thing that that Stuart raised, um, and obviously Stuart isn't isn't doing what we do every week, uh, every day of the week, uh, guys, and and that's looking at this these this stuff and you know trying to figure out where things are going. And and one thing he said to me is, well, does this mean that OLED's not quite the holy grail display that we all thought it was so what's your thought steve
2: it could be it can be it certainly can hit dci um i need to push a bit more brightness out of it but i'm sure that they're capable of doing that so it could be because obviously the one advantage has got over well, a number of advantages but um the big one is the black levels which are you know the if you've got absolute black and thousand nits peak white suddenly that's a really really punchy dynamic image it's going to look amazing uh better than you'd see at a cinema for a kickoff because you're never going to get that kind of dynamic range out of a projector. So uh, that's, that's great. But clearly, based upon what I've seen to date, yes, OLED looks amazing, but they're obviously buckers to make. Uh, and whilst LG have been banging on about OLED for two and a half years now, Phil, since we went to its launch yeah. in May of 2012, yeah. the fact is it's now January 2015 and we've reviewed three OLED TVs, one of which is not made anymore because that was the Samsung. So we've seen two LGs uh, and they're great, but... They're not being made in the numbers and, and constantly announcing models but never actually releasing them in the shop does not to me quantify as a real product, whatever LG might say. So, until we start seeing significant numbers at realistic prices, it's not a viable technology. And that's what everyone else is basically saying. Yes, you could say, well, they would say that because they're not making the OLED pounds. And Samsung, for example, are never going to buy them off of OLED, but off of LG. But if they're saying that we can deliver a really good performance from an existing technology at a, at a much more realistic price, then from a point of view of the consumer, you've got to say, well, that sounds pretty good. And having seen a 77-inch Samsung uh, LED LCD TV showing HDR material, which was the Exodus clip we were talking about earlier, Mark, having seen that myself, and standing in front of it, I thought, that looked pretty impressive. The black levels were great. It was using local dimming very effectively. The backlight uniformity was very good, even though it was a very bright image. I thought it looked stunning. So, yes, you could say, well, they would say that. But if they can deliver the kind of performance that we've seen in some of the displays and demos th- in the last last week to the consumer, uh, realistically at a decent price, that does make sense.
1: When your bright elements are so bright, it makes the bu- the blacks look darker anyway. So it's yeah, kind, of, quite, kind of make yeah. up for it. Yeah,
2: plus also, and this is an interesting point that people forget. You don't No, most people, ninety-nine percent of people, do not watch. And that includes me and you. I suspect Mark and Phil. We don't watch TV in a pitch-black room. No one does. You watch TV in a room with some, app, and you should watch TV with a bit of bias lighting, and because it's more comfortable, it's easier, it makes more sense. So you can see what you're doing. Um, you know, and you want a bit of bias lighting behind the TV. And so, having these punchy, dynamic images, is going to really work well in the average living room. You know, if you want to watch in pitch-black conditions, buy a projector. Yeah. But if it's TV, you're not watching in a pitch black room, yeah. so absolute blacks aren't really that important anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it's is y-
2: nice to have, but at the end of the day.
0: Well, you made the point uh, that, you know, it's good for the consumer. It, it's not only good for the consumer, yeah. but the reason why these companies are doing it, and we're talking about Panasonic, Sony, Philips, Samsung. Um, the reason that they are still pushing uh, old technology, LED LCD technology, is is the fact that it makes business sense for them. They need to be making money. Um, you know, Panasonic, since they got rid of plasma, their TV division is actually <laughs> starting to go back towards the black again. Um, uh, same for Sony. You know, they've they've cut a, a lot of the models, a lot of the dross that they were doing, just concentrating on a core. They're starting to head back towards the black. So. From a business point of view, it makes perfect sense that that they keep developing um, while they wait to see where OLED is going to go. And obviously Panasonic have hinted at an OLED screen for this year, 2015. So, you know, OLED's not dead. I think... Generally, the buzzword and and certainly the coverage would would seem to suggest that LEDs finally cracked it and is better than OLED. That's not what we're saying at no. all. I don't want that <laughs> that to come across as, as 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 you know any kind of truth. It's not that it's not the truth. OLED is going to be the future. Just because it's a self-emitting technology, it will get up to the levels where it'll display HDR, just as just as well, if not a lot better than um, the technology that we've seen. But the technology that we've seen. Is exciting stuff and is certainly pushing an old technology further um, the black levels are better and I think an important thing again to raise Steve were from Panasonic is that they're gonna go with VA panels on everything um, this year and the same with Philips over I think it was the 6,000 series upwards yeah, yeah. everything's gonna be a VA panel so finally with you know these manufacturers are starting to realize that certainly in the UK market um, you know, black levels, contrast range is more important than a wide viewing angle.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anyone who's seen a decent VA panel will know that they're capable of really good blacks. I mean, not OLED levels, but really good black levels. And when you when you apply that to a nice, even backlight and good local dimming, you can get some really impressive performance out of it. For example, the X9005 Sony from last year, I thought had an absolutely awesome image for an LED LCD television. It's really good to see that Panasonic have listened to feedback, Um, because they'll admit themselves that um, the um, AX902 came to market too late and an IPS panel killed it, basically, as, as an enthusiast product, and it was probably too expensive as well. But this year, they're going to use VA across their entire range for the UK. So that shows you that they're listening to our feedback, they're listening to what consumers and enthusiasts have been saying, and they've realized that that was a mistake. And last year was always going to be tough for them, a transitionary year after losing plasma. But I think, you know, if they're true to their word, they could come up with a really strong lineup of TVs this year. And, and as I say, if you apply VA technology well, it can look really good. Samsung have certainly shown that last year, and they, marked with the TVs right. we reviewed. And, and based upon what I saw at the show, they're going to be doing it again this year. And I think people have to remember something here. This is a business, okay? They can't, you just can't sit and think, well, why aren't you doing OLED? Because they haven't got a billion dollars to invest in it. And they have to put something out in the market this year. Because if you don't buy their TVs, they're going to stop making them like Toshiba have done, Uh, you know, like Sharp have done in Europe. So, you know, people need to get realistic here and stop thinking as an enthusiast and start thinking as a businessman. At the end of the day, these are businesses. They have to make money or they don't make TVs at all. So which would you rather have? Something that's not quite what you want now or nothing at all because those are your two options. Uh, And people need to take a reality check sometimes. And some of the comments I've read have just been ludicrous.
1: I'll tell you what, from a selfish personal point of view, I'm looking forward to this year in reviewing televisions much more than I was last year.
0: <laughs> but, and 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 the reason for that mark is
1: it's just because i'm now going to get a better standard of tv <laughs> coming the door.
0: yeah yeah um, um, but you know it is encouraging that that certainly you know the companies are listening certainly to the uk market which is saying look we want the black levels we want the you know the dynamic range the contrast levels that ips just just doesn't isn't capable of but it also makes business sense that lower down the range they will use ips panels um because you know the people that buy those tvs are not as discerning as the enthusiasts and those that are going for all out picture quality when it comes to tv and um you know we are missing plasma um in the marketplace and and you know the big hope is oled so panasonic i think we've got to be careful here because i think a lot of people again like you say steve in the comment section kind of jumped the gun a little bit with uh with oh this this will be ready for so and so and so and so they haven't given any release date yet but they have strongly hinted at an OLED TV 65 inch OLED TV yeah. being made available this year and you know when they're saying that you can guarantee that that's going to be the end of the year um, if not yeah. into 2016 but you know it's encouraging that. They are looking at that because that is a big investment to make. Uh, like you've just been saying, you know, these are businesses that have to make money, to for them to even consider releasing something like that. It, it takes a lot of commitment uh, financially, as as so well as technology. Sorry, no, it's
2: an LG LG it It'll
0: be it'll be an right. LG sixty five, but if, everything behind that panel will be yeah, Panasonic yeah, yeah. Uh, technology. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with an OLED panel. You know what they can actually do with that and. Um, uh, that's going to be interesting, as is 4K Blu-ray, which, again, ending ne- end this year, probably into the beginning of next year. So next CES is going to be big for 4K Blu-ray. Let's hope it, it's a bit more than well, just As a- it's
1: now known, UHD Blu-ray. Well, I was just going oh. to
0: come on to that. <laughs> I know you said you didn't announce, uh, announce one of those players.
2: No, I asked them about that when I was at the stand, and they said, yeah, we we actually, what they said to me was the uh, specs and standards were agreed last week. Uh Um, this was last week so the week before so apparently they've agreed the specs and standards haven't been announced yet but they've agreed them Um, and they were waiting on that before um, actually sort of announcing anything in terms of players Um, but yeah I'm sure we will see um, we'll see a lot more announcements going forward this year in terms of um, UHD Blu-ray
0: My only concern with that is it's going to be a niche And, and, and is it going to be too small a niche for a lot of the film companies to start releasing stuff
2: yeah, it's definitely going to be a niche. I mean, Blu-ray's a niche, so this is going to be a niche. A yeah, niche. yeah, but this, um, is,
0: this is going to be a really niche product to start it, it with. It will yes. be, but from the point of
2: view of, I mean, if you look at the specifications that, okay, haven't been finalised yet, but certainly have been put around by Panasonic with their prototype, 100 megabytes a second, um, you know, and all the other things like DCI and um, and HDR and, and um, you know, i um, also mentioning higher frame rates, which I could probably do without, but fair enough. Um when you look at all that to deliver that in the best possible way, you really are going to need a disk-based system. I mean, for me, example, there's no way in hell I'm going to get, get any of that down a broadband connection for another five years. So, um, yeah, but yeah, but you know,
0: again, you make up a. a small well, amount. I don't
2: think that's necessarily true. I think actually, I will make up a broad spectrum of the market, particularly in the states, uh, you know, where they haven't got that kind of broadband coverage in the, you know, in the in the middle bits away from the big cities. Uh, and large parts of the UK also don't get coverage yeah, okay, like that.
0: Okay, so so that's one argument, but the other argument is that do the public really want all this uh, extra technology and do they actually want that level of performance or they're quite happy to stream Netflix and buy DVDs still. <laughs> Most they're people are
1: happy to stream Netflix, I reckon.
2: I guess if if yeah. they can make money doing it, they'll do it, and if they can't make money doing it, they won't. That's yeah. the simple answer, isn't
0: I, it. I th- I think it's going to be a very much a laser disc of the uh, what decade are we into now? <laughs> the, the, tweens, the, the, the tweens. The tweens. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very much going to be the the laserdisc of now. I think. Uh, um, I mean, it's encouraging. I'm looking forward to seeing it, and looking forward to to seeing how well it is adopted. But um, uh, it's 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 got a bigger fight in its hands than DVD and Blu-ray have had in mm-hmm. the past um, at launch. Yeah. So it's it's going to be interesting to see where where that goes. Uh, other thing that was announced. UHD Alliance, tell us all about it,
2: Steve. Well, the UHD Alliance, um, as the name suggests, is an an alliance of companies designed to both promote and agree standards and specifications for Ultra HD going forward, which is good news all around. And it's a very broad membership. So you've got post-production, so people like Dolby and Technicolor. You've got all the manufacturers, at least all the major ones I could see were involved. Studios, all the major studios are involved. And also the distribu- distributors, so people like Netflix and Amazon are involved as well. So that that's brilliant because that that's from beginning to end total coverage. All the key players are there, and and you know as we were saying earlier, you know if they can sit down and all agree something together, that's better for them and ultimately much better for us. You don't want competing formats and systems; you just want one good system that works, uh, and that's what they're doing. So that's good news, uh, and I think um, you know obviously we'll wait to hear them actually announce it, but we can guess, as we've already mentioned in this podcast, roughly what we're going to get from them, I think. Uh, And and I think in the long run, that's good news all around.
0: Yeah, it's always good to see them all getting together. And uh, yeah, hopefully that's going to move things forward. Now, where there is a potential... um, well. I'm reluctant to say the words format war these days because I think it gets overused, but there are three competing technologies when it comes to audio for home cinema, Steve. Um, Two of them we've reported on in... in Quite some detail. All of three D. We did a, a video with uh, Wilfried um Was it back in March of yeah, uh, last, in March. Year. last year? Um, we'll put the, the link to the video in the podcast notes. Um, and we've also done quite a bit on Dolby Atmos, and we did quite a bit of the show as well about uh, those two technologies, but also the new technology from DTS uh, called DTSX. And they couldn't tell us anything other than it's coming in March, and that was about it. Apart from a demo. In terms of a demo, well, it was a demonstration of the sound format, not in a, a, a configuration that we would uh, say was a home theatre configuration. It was it was a round room that we were in with a 360-degree projector layout. Um, the speakers at the horizontal plane were hidden, so we're not sure if there was height speakers used or not, along with the horizontal plane, but there was definitely... Um, uh, voice of god speakers or heights um ceiling speakers steve because there was about six or seven of them and they were all placed in a in a, in a circle to go with the rest yeah. of the uh circular room um it was impressive it was immersive but that's about as much as we can say
2: yeah i mean uh, that was clearly a meant to be sort of a, a demo of potential technology but it was a very artificial it certainly wouldn't be i don't i don't think it's meant to be a representation of how it would it be imp, um, applied in, in the home in someone's lounge or home cinema and as you said phil we'll get the we'll get the full details in march so really as far as X is concerned don't know don't know who's supporting it in terms of um i can give you a clue possibly because there was a clip from divergent showing um and um i think they had a, on the demo disc they've got a clip from rio 2 so maybe Fox, maybe Lionsgate might be supporting them, but, but at the moment, we don't really know who's supporting them in terms of the studios, uh, how it'll be delivered in terms of you know, manufacturers. Um, presumably, it'll be over Blu-ray and over HDMI as the other two are, otherwise they'll be really making a, back rod, um, a rod for their backs. But in terms of manufacturers, we don't know yet. We'll find all this out, I'm assuming, in March, when it's announced. we also don't know exactly what kind of configuration they're using in terms of speakers. Um, I assuming it's object, again object-based but is that, is that configuration, don't know yet so it's all just conjecture and guesswork at the moment we just yeah. don't know, but well, we'll find out but what we do know at the moment is we've got two already on the marketplace at Motenoro and we've got a third one coming and that is going to get pretty confusing for the Well, I mean, D, the, uh,
0: DTS, consumer, had, DTS had to do it Yeah um, they, they had no choice, they had to do it the other two are, are, are doing it if they didn't want to be left behind, they had to do it The interesting thing is and it's been like this since uh, since basically Blu ray became a popular format. And that is that around about 80 85% of all discs have a DTS Master Audio soundtrack. The rest have Dolby True HD.
2: Yeah. Um, that's true. And that gives them b- that, would, you'd think, if DTS a slight adv- more than a slight advantage in terms of yeah, delivering it. it over, if if, over if that's the
0: case, if it, if it can be delivered within that bit stream, uh, it gives them a huge advantage. Except for, for one thing,
2: which is that currently, uh, Oro and, uh, and particularly Atmos, you know, these are, these are used uh, uh, worldwide in cinemas. So they're taking the Atmos um, soundtrack that's been created for the, for, the, for the cinema and they're basically creating a home, home cinema version of that or, you know, a domestic version of that for delivery over, H, over HDMI and Blu-ray through the Dolby True HD soundtrack. Fine. That's relatively straightforward and inexpensive for the studio to do. If they have to take, you know, there is no DTS cinema track. So they're going to have to create a DTS X track for every disc they release separately, which might be costly. So maybe there's not so much incentive to do that anymore. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the argument, certainly, that D- Dolby and Aura was making, which, again, you would say, well, they would say that. But it is a valid point. If there's no existing soundtrack to start from, it's not just different with, with 5.1 7.1. You're just taking that and delivering it through DTS or Dolby True HD, which is essentially just somewhere delivering it in a lossless or mostly lossless format. If you're going to do a completely new mix, that's that's going to cost money. And I think the way we're going is we want to avoid the studios rather want to avoid any un- unnecessary expense. They want to just take what they've already got in the cinema and bung it out in the, in the home. Um so maybe that isn't going to work for DTS as well. Don't know. that's just an opinion of mine, but um we'll let's see well first of all, let's find out what they've actually got up their sleeves um, and then, um, and, and then hear it <laughs> yeah and then we'll find out but would, um certainly you got to hear atmos for the first time So, what did you think of that
0: yeah very impressive As is all, it's it's an impressive way of doing things it's certainly immersive um and when it's done right i mean the only thing with dolby and this is i think i've made this point in a previous podcast when we were listening to the demo disc, um, uh, a lot of the Dolby material is, is just the Dolby Atmos trailers, which have been specially mixed and are, are pretty over-the-top when it comes to object-based um, stuff, Steve, uh, like effects and all the rest of it. And it even sounds good in 5.1, those trailers, um, without adding in the, the, the extra speakers. So um, the only film clip that we had was uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, and for me, I thought the mix was a little bit hot. And when I say that, I mean it... it 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 was a little bit too obvious that they were playing with effect and sticking objects in certain areas of the sound field so it, it felt too obvious if you know what i mean but yeah it it just as good as oro 3d was and we we had another demo of oro 3d and, and another demo of their up mixer with uh, um uh, the mono track of uh, her through grapevine we had that demo again and again you know re- really impressive stuff so both of the, the formats uh, both ways of doing things um, work really well and, and are immersive. The only thing I will say is that what we listen to in Atmos possibly draw you out of the movie, if it's mixed as as much as that or as hot as that. I mean, the whole point of a, of a soundtrack is that you don't notice it. No, it is enveloping, it is immersive, but it doesn't take you out of what it is that you're watching on screen. Yeah. Um, I felt Atmos was maybe a little bit over the top, but then again, it was a demo to demonstrate <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> over-the-top effects. So...
2: But you also got a chance to hear the upward firing speakers.
0: Yeah, and um, yeah, I knew you were going to bring this up. Yeah, I will eat a little bit of humble pie. Um, if if they work as well as the ones in the demo there and people have got a flat ceiling to reflect off, then it does work. And it works particularly well. I was impressed with that. I have to say, I didn't think it would be able to trick the brain. Um, more in the, in, with the time delay, to be honest with you, um, than anything else. So so the little bit of processing that goes on there to create the, the sound feel, it works. Um, and certainly that demo, it did work really well.
2: I think in the end of the day, it's obviously going to come down to content. Whoever gets the most content in the marketplace is going to have the advantage. And so as we stand at the moment, I think there are about four or five Atmos
0: see, I, well, discs I, well, available. I think N- the, the big problem is here, Steve, um, and it's not going to be a problem in terms of buying the kit, because I think the vast majority of manufacturers, and I think we're safe saying this, uh, even though we haven't had any confirmation whatsoever from any of the manufacturers, is that your brands like Denon, Marantz, Onkyo, all those types, uh, you know, give it another year, all of the the mainstream AVR brands will have Dolby, Oro, and DTSX. Yeah. They, they'll have all three formats. What the consumer, at the end of the day, is going to have to worry about is speaker configuration. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing, that has been suggested to us and was certainly suggested to us at CS is that certain standards have been changing over um, the, the past 12 months in terms of where they're placing the speakers and it's starting to get to the stage where uh, obviously we don't know about DTS but where ORO and Dolby the speakers are starting to get very close to where they are in each configuration.
2: Yeah <laughs> um. And and I think that is that when you talk about you don't want to say format war, but that is the problem at the moment. Is not it's not like with DTS and and Dolby Dolby 2 HD and DTS Master Audio where they had exactly the same speaker configuration, so you could just go from one to the other without any problems. As it currently stands, Atmos has five or seven speakers at, at ear level plus subwoofers and f- two to or four speakers overhead. I and mean, you could do more than that with some of the processors, but your basic configuration with a receiver is that. Uh, with Auro, you have um, a basic configuration, which would be a 5.1 at ear level, and then four height speakers, front left and right, and rear left and right, or rather side left and right, sorry. Then you could also, if you wanted to, add um, two, two rear speakers, as you know, as a 7.1, and also have a height above, above the center channel, and then uh, if, and ultimately a voice of God speaker, so one overhead speaker. Now, um, those, as it stands, are not compatible. What, what was being suggested is that the overhead speakers are sort of moving towards the size of the Atmos more than they were originally spec'd, which puts them closer to where the height speakers would have been in Auro, in and so the two become more compatible for someone who wants to have one. Because what you don't want to have to do, and I haven't done this myself, even though I have both Atmos and Oro at home, is you know I don't want to have 7.1 speakers at ear level and then four overhead. Yeah five height, and a voice of God. I mean, it's just getting ridiculous. And what yeah. I've got at the moment, where my height, my overhead Atmos speakers are, is close enough that I can use them also for auro height. Uh, and that's that's my solution.
0: And I think if that's that's
2: if that's the way they go, that would make a lot of sense. And as you said, we don't know where DTS are going to put their speakers yet.
0: Well, you see, if I was DTS, I'd be clever here. And I would, I would do a, a mixture of both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, And I would possibly be clever enough to try and have my system where the other two could be decoded on my system, if I was clever.
2: And I think there might be something along those lines happening anyway. Certainly uh, DTS and Auro have been working together, although there's been some comments made recently that maybe have annoyed them, but... um, Maybe that is the plan. To, I mean, yeah, if you think about it, you could. I mean, DTS did DTS Neo X in the past, and that was uh, height at the front and also width speakers. Now, D- Atmos has width options. Um, obviously, Auro uh, has height options, and then both have overhead options. So if I had to hazard a guess here, I would suggest that DTS X is going to have normal 5.0 or 7.1, height options and overhead options yeah. uh, and, and width options. It probably will encompass all of the existing formats. It's also some, some super Uber format.
0: Yeah, and, um, and we have to point out at this moment in time that myself and Steve, this is pure speculation. Yep. We don't. Know we don't know anything. We haven't been told anything behind closed doors or anything like that. We're not hinting at anything. It's just speculation. All right. So I think um, certainly looking at my list of things that I wanted to talk about, and certainly what what you've got in the running order here, Steve, we have covered everything that we've seen. Uh, Don't forget, we've got all our videos up there. There's 25 videos from the show floor, hands-on interviews, all that kind of thing. Uh, Go and watch them. Uh, Also, Mark did quite a few articles. So if you want to know what HDR is that we've been talking about in the podcast, there is an article there. If you want to know what quantum dots are, um, and you don't need Ziggy, um, then go and read the... Uh, article there Uh, and what we'll do uh, publish date of Wednesday so when this podcast goes up if you're listening on Wednesday and Thursday uh, then these articles will be in uh, the second layer of the homepage so if you go and have a look you'll be able to find them easy enough Uh, so to finalise this week's podcast before we get back to the normal weekly podcast next Wednesday, uh, what did you watch on the plane Steve?
2: Well on the way out I watched Hercules with The Rock which I thoroughly enjoyed It's not, I'm not saying it's a great film, but it was fun. Uh, I watched, um, oh, uh, let me see, The Rewrite with uh, Hugh Grant. Nice to see Hugh Grant in a romantic comedy again. I think it's the first film he's done since Cloud Atlas, so uh, that was okay. Um, Mildly amusing and fun. Uh, On the way back, I watched Maps of of the Stars, which is the David Cronenberg film. Oh, that was a weird movie. I had no idea what that was about. It was very disturbing and strange. <laughs> um, I also watched Life of Crime, which is um, based on the Elmore Leonard um, novel, The Switch, uh, and is actually kind of like a prequel to Jackie Brown. It's got two of the characters from Jackie Brown, the character that right. Samuel L. Jackson and um, and Robert De Niro played. They're younger versions of them in that, which, was, which is okay. It was quite good fun. Cool. And um, I watched Let's Be Cops, which was you know really puerile, silly, but also mildly entertaining in places. If you like the actors involved, you probably quite enjoy that.
0: Um,
2: And did I watch anything else? I think that's about it.
0: Well, going out, I watched uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West. Um, Some really funny bits in it, but for the majority, uh, quite poor, to be honest. Um, And I watched a couple of other bits and pieces on the way out. Uh, The one that I really enjoyed, Steve, it's one uh, which the review will go up next Monday from Simon, is uh, what we did on our holidays.
2: Oh, yeah,
0: that's the one I watched, yeah. Um, Which is a little British film uh, with David Tennant in it and Billy Connolly, and I I didn't hold up much hope for it, but actually um, I laughed all the way through. It was really, really funny, really quite quite a sweet little movie, actually. Um, So if you get the chance to watch that, uh, watch that. And and on the way back, I slept. So I (laughs) I didn't watch nearly as many movies as you did, which is usually the case anyway.
2: Yeah, I mean... uh it wasn't quite as bad as last. I think last year when we went when we flew out to Vegas and back. I, I'd seen every single film that was on <laughs> that was being shown. <laughs> At least this year, I had a few to choose from, um, uh, and, and there was some good stuff in there. But it's not the best place to watch a film, obviously, on a plane. But uh, yeah. it's a good way of catching up with things you maybe you missed the first time yeah. round. I, I did notice
0: the I did notice the blanket over your lap while you were watching the rock.
2: <laughs> it was nice and comfy and warm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no disgrace in a blanket. <laughs> Uh, right, okay, so that wraps up everything for this week. It is a little bit short and sweet, but we wanted to uh, go through everything that we saw uh, at CES, and hopefully um, you picked up a few bits and pieces there. Hopefully you're uh, is as excited and interested in this year's TV products uh, as we are. It certainly looks like it's going to be an interesting year. After last year, which was a bit of a strange year, guys, with mm. you know the death of plasma and all the rest, a bit of a transition transitional year i think it was your terminology steve um Mm. so interesting to see where things are going obviously we've got dolby vision hdr uhd alliance uhd blu-ray and immersive audio i've got to say i can't remember a time where we had so many things going on in the home cinema world uh once you add
2: in um laser projection as well um uh, you know it could be an exciting year for uh, for the home cinema enthusiast
0: definitely yeah Totally, and and hopefully more native four K projectors as well for for fans mm, of
2: the by other than Sony, <laughs> um,
0: because obviously CES um, it's not really a projector show. Projectors are normally summer to September launches, mainly CEDIA uh, shows, mainly when they get launched. So if people are, are worried that there was no projectors announced, uh, don't worry; it's not that time of the year. Uh, it's usually later in the year for projectors. So that wraps up the podcast. My thanks to Steve Weathers. Thank you, Phil. And Mark Hodgkinson. Cheerio. We really should have done uh, film quotes from The Hangover, but we didn't think about that <laughs> at the start, so we're a bit late yeah. in doing it now. That sums it up, really. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, am feeling at the minute? I'm about to go back to my bed. Um, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmarkabforms.com for latest reviews, news and video. And please leave us a rating on iTunes. I'm Phil thanks for listening, and The Abnormal Service will be resumed next week.